Genesis 43. We have finally come to the place of the first dream's fulfillment. We will see the first dream come to a reality in this chapter so we can begin to understand the purpose for why this dream was given. These dreams were given to Joseph. Last week we saw nine of the brothers, um, uh, ten of the brothers come. And there were one short. And so Benjamin was not with them. But now we're going to have Benjamin with them. Simeon is uh, not with him on the journey. He is back over there in Egypt being held prisoner. Again, we have the four levels of understanding that will come into play here. The flesh, mind, the flesh or reasoning level. Both of those are a lower level of understanding. Wisdom, a higher level. And then, of course, revelation. We have to make sure we strive for the, the higher levels of understanding. And let's take a look at how that helps us here in Genesis 43. Verse 1, Now the famine was severe in the land. And it came to pass when they had eaten up the grain which they had brought from Egypt that their father said to them, Go back, buy us a little food. But Judah spoke to him, saying, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Now Israel was in fear and uncertainty when his first, when his sons first uh, told of the encounter they had with the uh, leader that was down in Egypt. And he preferred to write the son Simeon off instead of risking Benjamin to get him back. It's very motivated by fear. Very interesting to note though that in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 21, the faith chapter, we get a mention of Jacob in the faith chapter, but the only mention he gets in the faith chapter is from his deathbed blessing. That's it. Can you imagine living your entire life and the only thing that gets you into the faith chapter is what you said as you're dying? <laughs> That's when he blessed the two sons of Joseph and he uh, took God at his word that the older would serve the younger and the younger would be greater and he blessed them that way. That's what made the chapter in Hebrews talking about the men of faith that had gone before. Now here, Israel has all the time of the supply. They got the supply. They got... Uh, most of what they went down there for, maybe all, but at least most of what they went down there for in the first trip. And the entire time they're using the things they got in the first trip, he's not changing his mind. He's being asked about it. Can we go down and get the, get the other one? We find this out in the rest of the, the part. We could have, they, they made this, uh, statement to Joseph. We could have been there and back twice. So apparently they've been asking him. And he keeps saying, no, 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 we're not going to do it, we're not going to do it, we're not going to do it. Now it says that the famine was severe in all the land. What we don't know is how much of Joseph's interpretation of Pharaoh's dream got out. More than likely it did. Because I don't think that they are doing to Egypt what they're doing without giving it some basis. And the people would have had at least some faith in Pharaoh having a dream and that dream being interpreted. That would have given them at least something to go on. That was probably spread out so that they knew why we were taking two-fifths of this. And uh, 
if Egypt knows about it, you would think that it would filter out throughout the rest of the world as well. And if Joseph, I'm sorry, if Jacob, as he saw the first people coming back with the, with the grain, and he asked them, because we saw him relating to his sons, I saw and I heard. So he saw them coming, then he talked with them and he heard. If Egypt knows about this, the Egyptians know about it, and people are going down to the buy, more than likely they're talking about it amongst them. How is it that you all have grain when no one else does? I mean, that's a logical question to ask. How is it that Egypt has grain? No one else around the world has grain. You guys have grain. So they probably gave them the story. Pharaoh had a dream. That dream was interpreted as being seven years of prosperity, seven years of famine. We've had the seven years of prosperity. We put stuff away. And so we have things set aside for this. So that was probably passed on. That has, you would think, come to the ears of the people in Canaan, most specifically I, uh, Israel. I don't know for sure, but it would seem like this is not trying to be a well-kept secret. There's nothing in here that indicates that they're trying to keep this a secret. It seems that it'd be well-known and it'd be better if people do know why you're doing these things than if they didn't know at all. So Joseph either does not believe the dream, does not believe the interpretation, has no faith in it. Of course, he doesn't know that God was involved in this at all. doesn't know that God was involved in the interpretation. All he knows is that it came from Egypt. So he's probably not willing to put a whole lot of stock in it because it came from a country of idols and more than likely their idol was behind this. But so far it's coming about. So he may not believe that the seven years of famine are true. He believes, well, God, you're going to help me out with this. We'll, we'll get our stuff going. But we'll, we'll see here that he's got plenty of money. He's got plenty of other things. There's uh, things that they're going to send as a gift they have plenty of those. They just don't have grain. They don't have the stuff that would that would grow. It seems that the trees are still bearing fruit, but the stuff that you put in the soil is is not producing. So this is what they need. They need to get the grain. Maybe some other things that are that are growing. It might just might be more than grain. It might be any kind of vegetation that would grow. Most vegetables are are not growing on trees. That's a that's more of a fruit thing. If you want your vegetables, maybe those are the things that are scarce too. But mostly what we're hearing about is the grain. But Judas steps up. The man silently warned us. Now in the Hebrew, I did not take Hebrew. You all know that. I'm not a Hebrew expert. But I am told that when in the Hebrew language, when they want to emphasize a word, they repeat it. This word, warned, is actually repeated twice. What they're saying is, the man warned, warned us. He warned, warned us. So the, it was repeated two different times to get this by, by comparison. In the previous chapter, when it's talking about the son, the, the brothers came and they bowed down, the word bow is repeated three times. They bowed. That's really emphasizing what they had, had done there. But, uh, Judas spoke to him saying, now it's before it was Reuben, when they first came back, Reuben was the one who spoke to him and he didn't pay any attention to that. Now Reuben has uh, been discounted for a couple of reasons. Reuben's trying to get back into good graces, but here it's fallen to Judah. Judah seems to be taking up more of the leadership here. He speaks to him, but he's not listening to this either. The man silently warned us saying, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. 
If you send our brother with us, with us, we will go down and buy, look at this, we will buy you food. See, if it was up to them, they would have gone with Benjamin and just and bought what they needed. But he's the one who's preventing them. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. So you can either go yourself. If you want us to go, you're sending us with Benjamin. Now in the beginning here, in verse 2, he said, go back, buy us a little food. Maybe his idea is, if you don't go down and buy a whole lot, you just go down and buy a little bit. Maybe we can keep going and buying a little bit and we don't have to send Benjamin. Just go down there and buy a little bit. But Joseph has this set up that if you were going to come from out of the country, at least if you're going to come from out of the country, maybe even in country, you've got to go through him. So he's got it set up this way. So you, they know you can't go in there and buy a little bit. you got to go through Joseph and he's looking for us. And if we come in there, we better have Benjamin. You don't know what you're going to put us through if you send us down there to face this guy. We're not willing to face this guy. We'd rather die here of starvation than go down there and face jail again. I guess their three days experience was not all that good. Now surely the sons are asking about this on a regular basis, but so far he hasn't budged. He hasn't changed. Verse 6, And Israel said, Why did you deal so wrongfully with me as to tell the man whether you still had another brother? But they said the man asked us pointedly about ourselves and our family, saying, now here's where we get some detail we didn't get before. Is your father still alive? Have you another brother? And we told him according to these words, Could we possibly have known that he would say, Bring your brother down? Now, here's the thing. Joseph, of all the things to accuse the brothers of, by accusing them of spying, he has challenged their truthfulness. He has, he has said, you're coming here on false pretenses. You're coming here on stories built on lies. So if those things are being challenged, then the one thing you do not want to do is embellish, change, alter, or in any way falsify your story. You want to make sure that if anything you are above board, you are telling this just like it is, because already he suspects you. So there's no way that you want to tell a lie. So as far as Joseph is concerned, this is the best thing to accuse them of, because this is going to push them, this is going to put self-indulging pressure, they're going to do this themselves, we must tell the truth. Joseph doesn't have to force them to tell the truth. They're going to force themselves to tell the truth because if we do not tell the truth, we could be in bigger trouble. So we have to make sure that everything is truthful. So they're feeling that pressure because of the accusation. The man asked us pointedly about ourselves and our family saying, is your father still alive? Have you another brother? And we told him according to these words, could we possibly have known that he would say, bring your brother down? Now, just in those questions that they bring out, they don't say that he asked them about the mother. That's a a clue or an indication that perhaps when Joseph is taken into captivity, that Benjamin was born and his mother was dead. 
because you, they, now if he did ask him about the mother, maybe just to keep the story going or um, keep pretenses going on, that they just didn't include it. Maybe they didn't include it because there is no answer for that. No, mom died. Um, he's that that mother died. But there's no indication that he asked about any of the, the moms, any of the wives that were there. Is your father still alive? Have you another brother? So we told him. He asked us. We told him. We didn't know he would say, bring your brother down. We weren't thinking he was going to do that. We're just trying to give him the, the rightful story. Now, when you think about it, if you're trying to validate this story, all the brothers would have to do is go home and get somebody. I mean, really, just go home and get somebody. They could have gone out in the street, found somebody who who might look a little bit like them, and uh, just not Egyptian, just uh, brought them on in, and there we go. But, verse 8, Then Judah said to Israel his father, Send the lad with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die. Now that comes from his father's words. His father, when he first sent them, go buy grain for us that we may live and not die. So Judah is throwing the father's words right back at him. Maybe if you were a kid, you had parents who said something to you to get you to do something, and you had opportunity to say those words right back to him. Would you do it? Yeah, well, this, I'm sure he's, he's uh, doing this with great intention. That we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. So we'll all live. I myself will be surety for him. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. For if we had not lingered, surely by now we would have returned this second time. And the father of Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the best fruits of the land of your vessels, carry down a present for the man, a little balm and a little honey, spices and myrrh, pistachio nuts and almonds. Take double money in your hand. Take back in your hand the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take your brother also and arise. Go back to the man. And may God Almighty give you mercy before the man that he may release your other brother and Benjamin. If I am bereaved, I am bereaved. Hmm. Now, before Reuben made a promise, he said, look, if I don't bring him back, you can kill my sons. That's his grandsons. Can you imagine that you would think it actually would work, be worthwhile that you might actually get somewhere? If you argue to the grandfather, you can kill your grandsons if I don't bring back your son. That, is, that just tells you these guys don't have the highest regard for the character of their father. He thinks this son is so valuable that even the grandsons are not as valuable as as this one is. Eh, the grandsons are little. They need protecting. But he's willing to, th- to throw them in. Judah is even willing to throw in his own, self, his own self. Now Israel, in dealing with this fruit crisis, we're going to see that he has four, four steps that he goes through. And you'll see this happen in many of the leaders that you will see in leadership. All through history, even our current day, you will see that many times this is the way that people have, uh, have approached crises that are in leadership positions. The first thing we do, the first step, and it's the first step that Israel did, put it off. When faced with a crisis, 
Put it off. Like they say, don't take on today what you can do tomorrow. Put it off until another time. They said, let's go on back. Let's get Simeon. Give me Benjamin. We'll go on back. We'll get some more stuff. We'll get Simeon back. We'll all come on back. This will be good. No, no, no. We're not going to do that. They come to him again later on. No, no, no. We're not going to do that. Until they get close to the time that the supply is running out. And they have to do something. Now that pressure is on them. All right, we can't put this off anymore. We have to go. So if you can't put it off anymore, go to step two. Here's a second thing that people in leadership do. Play it down. Play it down. It's not really that bad. Just just go buy us some food. I mean, it's it's not that bad of a crisis. We just need a little bit of food. Just go down and get us a little bit. And, um, and come on back and then, you know, we'll get through that and we'll be fine. We play down the crisis. It's not a big crisis. It's not a bad thing. This is something that we do. The first off, you put it off. Secondly, you play it down. You make it like there's no crisis. We see that many times in our, in our country today. We've had a crisis that either the news media blows up and makes bigger or the news media makes like it's nothing at all. This is uh, certainly something he did. Maybe they won't take notice of you. If you just go in there, buy a little, you know, just sneak in. Just go to one of the little corner shops. Get a, You go over to this one. You go over to this one. You go over to this one. Buy a little bit of stuff. Bring it on back. We'll be good. But that wasn't working. So if that's not going to work, we're going to go to step three. Here's the third thing that they do. Blame others. Isn't that what you people in leadership do? Especially bad ones. Blame others. It's not our fault. He says, why did you deal with me so wrongfully? Why did you tell him of Benjamin? It's your fault. We would not have this problem if you didn't do this. Why did you have to tell him you had a brother? If you didn't tell him we had a brother, we wouldn't have to send Benjamin down there. You all could just go on back down, get some food. We wouldn't have this crisis if it wasn't for you. You guys created this. You guys made it. So you guys need to settle it. (laughs) They're not hearing that one. Mm Mm-mm. Nope. Here's the fourth one. I had this note. Worthwhile telling you. Might be that Jacob is saying in all this thing about blaming them. Why didn't you do it as I would have done and just lie to them? (laughs) Wasn't that Jacob's way? Just lie to them. Just tell them something that's not true. But they didn't follow that example and they gave him the truth. Here's the fourth thing that Joseph or that uh, Jacob does the fourth thing that we see that bad leaders do resign responsibility well it's out of my hands whatever happens happens I can't do anything about it well you delayed for so long you made it even more of a problem than it was before and if you hadn't been walking into favoritism to begin with you wouldn't be in this problem now Reuben had been unsuccessful when they first returned. But either Judah is more persuasive, perhaps Judah is more trustworthy, or Jacob is just more desperate now. Don't know which one it is. But basically the sons have to make him understand if we don't go, not only are are you going to die, Benjamin is going to die too. I know you don't care about the rest of them, but they'll die if we don't go. Now, Jacob speaks, if you look at all the conversation that Jacob has in this chapter, 
Jacob speaks with I, me, my. I, me, and my. Judas speaks with we, us, and our. True leaders don't use I, me, and my all the time. There's sometimes that you have to do that. But most of the time, they're going to be like Judah. We, us, our. They include themselves in what's going on. So Jacob needed strong motivation to comply and step up to get to the fulfillment of the first dream. He needed a severe famine. Just think about this. This is the dream. This is where God says this is going. This is where it needs to get directed. And Jacob, in order to comply and go along with what God has said, he doesn't know, I guess, that God has said it this way, but in order to comply and to go along, instead of just going in with his spirit, his spirit should be saying, yeah, go ahead and do this. If he's tapping into his spirit, his spirit should be saying, yeah, go ahead and do this. This is all right. But he's not. He's He's a flesh man. This is what he needs in order for him to comply. He needs a severe famine, depletion of the food supply. The threat about returning without Benjamin. Imprisonment of Simeon. And the absolute non-compliance of his sons in going on Judah's terms. Or, I'm sorry, on going on uh, Jacob's terms. All that just to get him to obey God. <laughs> That's amazing. This is one of the, one of the, uh, the big three. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he needs all these things happening in order for him to comply and go along with this. But if he was just tied into his spirit, man. Now you all say, well, they didn't have the spirit the same way. No, but they didn't. But still people in the Old Testament knew when the spirit of God was leading them away, when the spirit of God was telling them to do a certain thing. They still knew it. He doesn't follow. And their father Israel said to them, if it must be so, then do this. See if it must be so. Well, if this was that has to happen, I just resigned. This is what goes on. I I can't do anything about it. I can't control it. Whatever it will be, will be. Do this. Take some of the best fruits of the land in your vessels. So see, apparently there were still fruits. And carry down a present for the man. A little balm, a little honey, spices and myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Now, this give scent might sound a little bit familiar to you. Anybody want to venture a guess as to where this list of gifts came from? Not completely. No, but I actually didn't look at Esau's list. If we went back into Genesis 37, there was, there's a bunch of stuff that they sent to, to Esau. I did not look at this list. But when Joseph was bought by the traveling band, what did they have in the caravan? Genesis thirty-seven twenty-five, And they sat down to eat a meal, and they lifted their eyes and looked, and there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead, Gilead with their camels bearing spices, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry them down to Egypt. Not a complete list, but we see some of those things that are in there. Some of the added things are things that come from the land of Israel, or the land of Canaan. When it says here, in this list, uh, a little balm and a little honey, most times when we think of honey, we're thinking of honeybees. And the bees making the honey. But there was a honey that came out of Canaan that had nothing to do with bees. And what they would do is they would take the grapes and they would take the fruit, out of the juice out of the grape and they would dry that until they would get uh, something to the consistency of a honey. 
and they would they would tell us this was their honey that they would have it coming out. Um, that, as far as I, I I did see a note on this, that out of Hebron they still export this down into Egypt. They still export that type of of honey down into into Egypt. But as far as the other ones that were on here, the uh, pistachio nuts and almonds, they're not as plentiful around the area of Canaan anymore, but apparently they were in the days that we're talking about here. So this list might sound a little bit familiar. It's not exact, but it's, um, I don't know, if you were Joseph and you were in that caravan and you smelled all those things coming in that caravan and then here is here comes this gift. Hmm. Now Jacob's word, words here. Take double money in your hand. Take back in your hand the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take your brother also and arise, go back to the man. And may God Almighty give you mercy before the man that he may release your other brother and Benjamin. If I am bereaved, I am bereaved. It's out of my hands. Now here's something interesting to note. That word mercy in verse 14 as the first time mercy shows up in the Word of God. The word mercy is used two times in the book of Genesis. Both times are in this chapter. Now look at just Jacob's words here. I had a note for, for mercy. Let me see if I where I put that at. I made this note for it. Mercy is judgment or wrath withheld. Mercy is judgment or wrath withheld. Grace is the giving of undeserved favor. Mercy must come before grace. You can have mercy without grace, but you can't have grace without mercy. Now, when you look at Jacob's words here, if I am bereaved, I am bereaved. Who's that sound like? Can you think of someone? It may not come right to your mind right off the bat, but Esther, when she goes before the king, what does she say? If I perish... I perish. <laughs> I don't know if she was thinking about Jacob's <laughs> words here or not, but it sure sounds pretty similar. If I'm bereaved, I'm bereaved. If I if I lose the Benjamin, then I lose him. I can't control this anymore. I have to resign myself to having any control over this situation. This is where a lot of Christians even go in their Christian walk. Well, I just can't control anything. God's controlling everything, so whatever happens, happens. No, I mean, if, if Jacob would have just taken... Uh, control of the situation when it first came up. All right, we got a crisis. Let's take care of this now. It wouldn't have gone to this spot. But he didn't do it because he followed those forces. Now, this is not my list. This is something I found and I thought it kind of fun. It sounds... I think this person that I saw it from copied it from somebody else. I'm not not sure exactly where the original one was from. But it sounds like something anti-John Maxwell author would write. And these are Joseph's seven laws of leadership. I'm sorry, I should, um, Jacob's. I keep putting the wrong one. Jacob's seven laws of leadership. Number one, today's problems are best dealt with tomorrow. Number two, no problem can possibly be as bad as it seems. Three, honesty is not the best policy. Number four, always look out for number one. Number five, as much as is possible, blame others for any problems you can. Number six, if you can't solve a problem through effort and good faith, add money. <laughs> Number seven, 
When all else fails, trust God. <laughs> it's undeniable that there's, that is certainly seven laws that, J- that uh, Jacob seems to follow here. But boy, we sure shouldn't. Verse 15. So the men took the present and Benjamin, and they took double money in their hand, and arose and went down to Egypt, and they stood before Joseph. Now I can't tell you, I can't prove this to you, but I'm thinking, if we go back and watch the videotape when we get in heaven, and we watch this caravan going down in Egypt, I'm thinking that Benjamin is in the center. And the brothers are all around on the outside. There's no way we're letting anything happen to Benjamin. And they put their life between him and any harm that would come up. So much different from what would happen with Joseph. The entire trip down, they are protecting Benjamin. Maybe not out of love for Benjamin. I don't, they may have uh, changed over and they, they may have a greater fondness for him than they had for Joseph. But it may be just self-preservation. We gotta make sure we have a Benjamin when we get down there. I mean, we could be missing a Judah. We can be missing a Reuben. <laughs> but if we're missing a Benjamin, we are in trouble. We've got to have a Benjamin. So they're going to protect him, make sure that he gets down there in one piece. They can get there and say, hey, Dan, well, a lion got him. <laughs> you met Dan before. You know that Dan is not Benjamin, but uh, Dan's dead. He's, he's gone. We're, we're sorry, but we have Benjamin. <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's no way they're letting anything happen to Benjamin on their way down there. And when Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, Take these men to my home and slaughter an animal and make ready, for these men will dine with me at noon. Then the man did as Joseph ordered, and the man brought the men into Joseph's house. So Joseph gives the invitation. I have to wonder, we'll have to ask this when we get to heaven, how much does the steward know? I mean, he's involving this steward into a lot of things here. How much does the steward know? Is he just following orders? Or has Joseph in, uh, entrusted him with some of the knowledge of what he's doing? So the man did as Joseph ordered and the man brought the men into Joseph's house. Alright, put yourself. This is one of those times you got to put yourself in the position of the people that are in the Bible where you will miss what's happening. They bring Benjamin before Joseph. They don't see Joseph, but Joseph sees them. They may have seen him from a distance. Joseph saw them from a distance. doesn't seem like he came to them. He then pulls the steward aside, take those men, take them to my house. If you are the sons, if you are the brothers, you don't know why you are taken to the house. Because you're not told. But you're taken to the house. Prominent people in Egypt, we've already learned of a few, but there's apparently this is something that is fairly common among prominent, prestigious, political people in Egypt. They had prisons in their homes. Potiphar was only one. But Joseph is one of the most prominent of Egyptian leaders. And they are taken to his home. We already see that the sons, the brothers, they think the worst of every situation that they have. 
here you are, you have arrived with Benjamin, you don't even get to present your case, you don't even get to say, here's Benjamin. Joseph sees you from a distance, doesn't see you personally, but the steward comes, men, come with me. And he takes you, maybe silently, over to Joseph's house. Where are we going? We're going to Joseph's house. Why are we going to Joseph's house? Because he told us to take you there. But why are we going? I'm just under orders from Joseph to bring you to the house. That's all I can tell you. Because I'm sure they're not letting them into a whole lot of information. So if you were on the way to Joseph's house, you're probably talking amongst each other in Hebrew and saying, guys, why are we going into the house? I mean, if they could do anything and leave, they probably would, but they don't feel like they can. They're in the midst of Egypt. We can't. If we run now, surely they're going to think we're guilty of something. Why are we going to his house? And so they begin to think the worst. And the men were afraid because they were brought into Joseph's house. <laughs> We've explained to you why. They don't know why they're being brought in here. No one else is being brought into the house. No one else is on trial for having been accused of spies. Why are we being brought into the house? And they said it is because of the money which was returned in our sacks for the first time that we were brought in so that he may make a case against us and seize us and take us as slaves with our donkeys. Is there any truth to anything they said? There is not. But they think it is. You see, when you feel guilty about something, you will assume the worst case scenario for you. That guilt is what it'll do. That's why God wants us to be able to stay free of guilt. That's why he tells us things in his word so we can stay free of guilt. Stay out of this. Don't get involved in this. Don't do this because he knows guilt will cause you to think this. None of this is true. But they think it is. They're having this discussion along the way. This is why. They are settling for a lower understanding of what's going on. There's a, there's a higher understanding of what's going on, but they're not going after it. Because they have settled on a lower one. If they have this one, they're not going for anything different. You could pursue God and say, God, why are, why are things going this way? And God says, look, just take it easy. It's alright. Everything is fine. They could hear that. But they don't. Because this has come up. They settled for a lesser understanding of the circumstances. And a higher understanding they can't get to now. This is why it's so dangerous for us to settle. Don't just settle. Resist it. They, if they would have just resisted it, all right, this is what the enemy wants me to think. He wants me to think we're in trouble. He wants me to think we're going to die. But I'm not going to take that. I'm not going to go in that direction. Father, I want you to just share with me what is it that we're going to do? Why are we here? Why are we going this way? It is because of the money which was returned in our sacks the first time that we are brought in so that he may make a case against us and seize us to take us as slaves with our donkeys. I don't know why they think the donkeys... <laughs> he wants the donkeys. I don't think the guy needs donkeys. When they drew near to the steward of the Joseph's house, they talked with him at the door of the house and said, Oh, sir, we indeed came down the first time to buy food. But it happened. When we came to the encampment and we opened our sacks, and there each man's money was in the mouth of his sack, <clears throat> our money in full weight, so we have brought it back in our hand. And we have brought down our money in our hands to buy food. We do not know who put our money in our sacks. So they just spill the beans. They, they're here at the house. They probably want to tell Joseph this story. 
They probably were expecting to tell Joseph this story. But Joseph didn't see them. All they got is a steward. And they're outside the house. We're getting ready to get put inside the house. We don't want to go in the house. <laughs> going in the house, this is probably bad. This is probably not good. They're going to lock us up. No one's ever going to see us again. We don't want to go in the house. Please don't, don't put us in the house. And so they try and lay out their case. They think this is what they're being accused of. They're not. Hmm. We, they probably even embellish just a little bit more because they could have said, look, we would have come back as soon as we saw it. But Joseph told us, don't come back without Benjamin. So we knew we had to make it on home to get Benjamin. They probably even told him, look, our father didn't want to send Benjamin. We had, to, we had to spend some time convincing him to send Benjamin. We finally got him to convince to send Benjamin. Otherwise, we would have been back here a whole lot sooner. But we're almost out of food back at home. And we have to come. So out of desperation, they explained everything to the steward. I put this in your outline for you. Not knowing why something happens, good or bad. There's times when things good have happened to us. We don't know why. There's times bad things happen to us. We don't know why. Not knowing why something happens, good or bad, causes the weak in faith to assume. While the strong rest. You can tell real easy how you are in faith by how you respond when something good or something bad happens and you are unaware of why. The weak in faith assume. The strong in faith rest. Those who assume come up with their own cause and reasons, usually based on their own shortcomings. You can find this in other people as well in the Word of God who did this. But they were weak in faith. Something bad happened. Something good happened. And they come up with their own shortcomings. Come up with an assumption. Remember the disciples came up to the man who was born blind? Master, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? See, they assumed. They don't know. Those who rest, the strong in faith, Wait patiently for God to reveal the cause and the reasons, resisting the bait to do otherwise. See, the strong in faith, they will wait patiently. Well, something good happened. I don't know why. Glory to God, we'll just wait and let God reveal why it is. And they just rest in it. They just rest. They're at peace. They're at ease. Something bad happens. They're at rest. They just rest in it. They're at peace. They're at ease. I'll let God reveal to me why it happened. If I need to know anything that why it happened, they just rest in it. As that strong person in faith is resting in it, the enemy is coming along and telling them some stuff. Trying to get them to be distracted. Trying to get them out of that rest. We want you in turmoil. We want you in the unknown. We want you to be assuming things. Come on, get over there. Person in rest, they don't assume anything. They're just at rest. They're having a good time. There's a no assumption. Just kind of resting. Relaxing. Hmm. Enemy don't like that. He's going to try and get that away from you. Verse 23. But he said, Peace be with you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. Wow. 
all that turmoil, all that fear that was generated. And fear just saps you of energy. Not even a slightest basis of anything. Huh. Is that what you're thinking? Ah, don't worry about it. I got your money. Everything's good. God just blessed you. Then he brought Simeon out to them. So that probably helps to relieve their fears a little bit because they didn't keep him in prison. They brought him out to them. So the man brought the men into Joseph's house and gave them water and they washed their feet and he gave their donkeys feed. Well, this has got to set them at ease a little bit more. Well, they're, they're, he, he, the sewer, he's out there feeding our donkeys. Oh. He gave us water so we could wash up, get something to, to drink. So now they got some time and so they made the present ready for Joseph's coming at noon for they heard that they would eat bread there. So they didn't know until they got to the house and then the steward let them in. Joseph's coming. He's going to finish up some things at the office. But around noon, he's going to come in. He's going to have lunch with y'all. And um, and we're good. Now Joseph, if if he has everybody coming to him, more than likely the reason is he has to see when these guys come. Well, here they are. So he can probably say, look guys, I'm going to take the rest of the afternoon off. You all hand to whoever comes. And so Joseph heads on off to the house. He's going to spend some time here with the brothers. Verse 26, And when Joseph came home, they brought him the present which was in their hand into the house and bowed down before him to the earth. Then he asked them about their well-being and said, Is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? Don't know how much time transpired between their first visit and this one, but long enough that Joseph thought that maybe something happened to him. Could have been a couple of months half a year. I don't know what kind of a time it was. Whatever they bought was used up. And they answered, Your servant, our father, is in good health. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads down and prostrated themselves. I mean, they're not just bowing. They're all the way. They're down. They, <laughs> they're, they're probably just relieved. We're not going to die. <laughs> We're going to actually have, have lunch together. Uh, I mean, it's the whole countenance of Joseph changed towards them. They're probably just so relaxed. They're not even thinking of the dream. They just, here's his ruler, and they just, they bowed all the way. They got all the way down that they could. Prostrated themselves. Now they spent all this time on the present. This is uh, Jacob's dream child here. He's, he dreamed this one up. We're going to give him a present. And so they got all this stuff for the present. And they busied themselves getting the present ready. Whatever they had to do to get it ready to make it look as good as possible. How much time did Joseph spend on the present? He doesn't even acknowledge it. He doesn't even say thank you. He doesn't say, oh wow, look at that. Oh, I love these things. Nothing, nothing there. Here's, the, here's his present. How's your dad doing? Right into, how's your dad doing? Is he still alive? Still doing good? Yeah, did you see the present? Okay, we got the present. Not even any time. Then he lifted his eyes and he saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and he said, Is this your younger brother of whom you spoke to me? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. That'd be kind of a funny thing to be hearing from an Egyptian. 
Now, I made this note. I want you to see this. Fear in the presence of love is unfounded. Joseph has nothing but love for his brothers. But they're afraid. They fear him. They are afraid of everything that happens. Whatever goes on, they see something bad. Fear causes them to second guess everything. To go back, this is why this is going on. This is, it's a trap. They all laid a trap for us. Fear in the presence of love is unfounded. Folks, this is the same thing with God. Many Christians have fear in the presence of God and yet God has love for them. Many times the enemy has gotten us to be fearful of things about our God and God is a God of love and we have no reason to have fear. Everything these brothers feared about their situation had absolutely no foundation because they were standing in the presence of love but they didn't know it. How many Christians are standing in the presence of love in the face of their Father and yet they fear? Now this doesn't mean it won't exist. doesn't mean that fear won't exist just that we are as foolish as the brothers to allow it. But your accuser, he wants to get you pure fearful in the presence of God. Now, Benjamin has had an effect on Joseph. This is his full brother. And get this, Benjamin is the only brother that did not betray Joseph. The only one. He's your full brother and is the only one who didn't betray you. Verse 30. Now his heart yearned for his brother, so Joseph made haste and sought somewhere to weep, and he went into his chamber and wept there. Joseph is overcome. You see, he's struggling with something. This tells us, this gives us a clue as to what's happening. Joseph, from what we're hearing here, he yearns for his, he wants to go out to his brother, he wants to put a big old hug on his brother. But he doesn't do it. And instead he goes into his own bedchamber, Closes the door, gets himself by himself, and just weeps. Gets all that emotion out. And after he gets all that emotion out, he comes back to them. This will tell you that there's a conflict going on inside of Joseph. The conflict is that Joseph is doing something that Joseph doesn't want to do. If Joseph wanted to do it, he wouldn't be in his room weeping. If Joseph did what he wanted to do, he'd be over there on Benjamin, hugging on him. He'd be over there telling the brothers, I'm Joseph. Love you guys. So glad you all came to visit me. That would be what Joseph wants to do. That's where Joseph's emotions are. But this struggle shows you a man who is seemingly always in control of himself. Suddenly he can't control himself and he leaves the room. Joseph is doing what he does not want to do. Can you think of other times when somebody did what they didn't want to do? When their emotions were getting the best of them. 
and taking them in another direction. But they got a hold of their emotions and they went in the direction they were supposed to. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's in the garden. His emotions are getting them. I'm going to be separated from the Father. I'm going to be experiencing things. Separation I never experienced before. I don't know what it's like not to be in His presence. I don't know what it's going to be like to have sin put upon me. When He stood on the cross and He said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's never been in that place before. This is all new. This is messing with His emotions. And He said in the garden, Not my will, but yours be done. And Joseph is in that exact same position. Not my will, but yours be done. Joseph has an assignment. Joseph has direction on what he is supposed to do. And that assignment was revealed to him because of the dreams. In this chapter, we come to the first dream. The first dream is 11 brothers come and bow down to him. Very seldom do we see dreams announcing something to occur. Dreams come to let you know what's coming that you can get ready for it. They prepare you. That's all. Get ready. This is coming. Joseph in the New Testament had dreams to prepare him for what was coming. Others had dreams to prepare them for what was coming. What is coming? Here's the first dream. Eleven brothers come and bow down. When they had ten brothers, we're not at the first dream. Joseph knew we got to get to the place where eleven brothers are here, so he put the challenge out. You guys have got to bring Benjamin. Because you see, until they bring Benjamin, what needs to happen isn't going to happen at home. Jacob is still comfortable. I don't care if I lose any of them, just as long as I have Benjamin. We've got to get Jacob out of that place. He may have even known that the brothers were going to show up without Benjamin. And may have had the plan of how to get Benjamin there. But you see, now that we've got 11 here, everything about the dream is preparation. Everything about Pharaoh's dream is about preparation. We've got the first dream, the seven years of plenty. The second dream, the seven years of famine. It was all about preparing. Use the first part to prepare for the second part. Now we've got the first dream. We've got to prepare We've got to get ready for the second. And the second part is when we have everybody coming on down into Egypt. But something has to happen between the 11 brothers coming and when the whole family moves. And God gave him the dream so that he would seek after the Lord and find out what am I supposed to do. And that's how we get chapter 44. Verse 31, Then he washed his face and came out and he restrained himself and said, Serve the bread. So they set him a place by himself and then by themselves and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves because the Egyptians could not eat food with the Hebrews for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. We don't explain exactly why that is. I mean, there's not a whole lot of Hebrews around right now. But it's an abomination. Maybe it has something to do with Abraham's visit when he came on down there before and almost got the uh, the king, the pharaoh, in trouble because of his wife. Maybe that has something to do with it. Maybe it has something to do with his son coming down and pulling the same stunt. 
Maybe they said, we've had it with these Hebrews. We don't even want to eat with them anymore. You make sure they stay away. That may be why there's, the ordinance is there. Don't know exactly why, but it's just stated that it is. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked in astonishment at one another. Then he took servings to them from before him, but Benjamin's serving was five times as much as any of theirs, so they drank and were merry with him. Hmm. Why does Joseph do this? Now, you know themselves, they're thinking the worst. They're thinking, Joseph has got some. They don't know he's Joseph, but this ruler, he has got some uncanny powers. How does he tap into the fact that who is the oldest? We haven't told him who's the oldest. And we haven't told him what our customs are for the oldest to the youngest. We haven't spoken any of that to him. How does he know what our customs are? How does he know how to seat us? This is very strange. They're seeing a man who has knowledge of things they don't think he ought to have knowledge of. They're not seeing Joseph. They're seeing a man who has knowledge of stuff. They don't understand why he's got that knowledge. But this is all to set up chapter 44. I wrote some things down here. First off, the fears of Jacob. The fears of Jacob have no basis in fact, only imagination and flesh. No basis in fact, only in imagination and flesh. If he had relied on his spirit, there would have been no witness to have fear or concern. But he didn't do that. The emotions of Joseph would have kept him from doing what God wanted if he followed them. His emotions. It would have kept him from doing what God wanted done. He would have just revealed himself and they never would have gotten from dream one to dream two. The way God had needed them to get there. They would have, they would have had a dream one here. Dream two would have been coming. If he would have revealed himself here, dream two would have come. Everybody wouldn't be making their way on down. But that's not what needed to happen. His emotions had to be brought in line with God's plan. Just as Jesus had to bring his in line with God's plan and other people had to bring their emotions in line with God's plan. He doesn't deny his emotions. He just refuses to be detoured by them. This is the same thing for Christians today. We cannot let our emotions detour us from the plan of God. You will have emotions that go against what God wants to do. You got to get a handle on them you got to get hold of them and you got to do what God said to do. Just like Joseph did. The brothers, they thought that the only way to good standing with the Lord of Egypt was through works, gifts, and such things like that. They didn't realize that he loved, that he had a love for them And that love that that ruler had was all that was needed. How many people are in this world or in the same situations as the brothers? Even Christians are in the same situations as the brothers. They think the only way to get anywhere with God is to bring Him gifts and to do works. This is where the brothers are. 
They're trying to get into the good favor of the Lord that is over them here. Joseph, by doing works, by bringing gifts. They don't realize about the love that the Lord has for them. If people could just realize the love that God has for us, we wouldn't be relying on works. We wouldn't be falling back on gifts. Well, God, look at what I have done. God, look what all the things I have have to do. Just rely on the love. I think a lot of times God looks at the gifts, the works that we bring, and gives it about the same amount of attention as Joseph gave to what the brothers brought. Doesn't even acknowledge it. How's your death? How's the old man that you spoke of? Is he still alive? Is he doing good? That's nice. It's good to hear. Just because God announces what is coming doesn't mean you know how to handle it. This is simple knowledge of what is up ahead does not prepare you for what to do. And we need to be prepared for what to do. Father, I thank you that just as you prepared Joseph, you prepare us. You get us ready for what's ahead. If we can get out of that works mentality, that bringing of gifts, just understand the great love that you have for us. I thank you for that love. The fears that we often fall into have about as much basis as the fears that these people have here. You would look at them and say, that's ridiculous. Why in the world are you afraid about that? Nothing like that is true at all. But boy, we are sure convinced of it. Help us understand how great your love is for us, how much you plan for what's ahead, and how much you're willing to use us. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.